You're listening to the CX Pod from T-Tech and the Customer Strategist Journal. Welcome to CX Pod. I'm your host, Jeff Marcou, and today we talk about behavioral science and the impact of emotions on customer experience. To dive deeper into this, I'd like to welcome to the show Peter Dorrington, Director of Customer Insights and an expert in combining data science and behavioral science. Welcome to the show, Peter. Hi, thanks very much, Jeff. I'm enjoying being here. All right, so we have to start with with this whole kind of world of what does it actually mean to to be a director of customer insights when you're looking at you know we've we've heard of data science and data scientists and you know behavioral science is this weird mix of psychology and and that whole world. What does your role actually mean? What do you do? Okay, so it's an interesting evolution, really, of. Um, essentially data scientist. So that's uh, historically for the last three or four decades been about using data and very much a quant-based approach to develop predictive models and insights really based around the characteristics of people and things, you know, what you are, how old you are and so on, and when did you last purchase. And that's a very well-established science. Now, behavioral science has been very much more about the why. So if we've got you know, who, what, when, how, how much, the data scientists have always known that there is more to decision-making than simple numbers um, and events. And behavioral science deals with the motivation. So if you think of an every action starts with a decision, whether that's subconscious or conscious, and at the heart of every decision is emotion. But we've never really had the tools to deal with emotions and feelings. So now the role of customer insight is to try and bring those together, to combine them in a way that we have an operational framework where we've got a a better understanding of all of the factors that go into when people make a decision. Today, we're really excited, at least I'm really excited, to dive into this concept of emotions and, and why do they matter in business? Why should a business care how their customer feels? I know that might sound a little insensitive, but at times, you know, we're so focused on things like net promoter score, but we're hearing customer experience really matters. But why does why do emotions really matter in business from, from your perspective? Take a, a quick view about what's happening in the marketplace. So um, the Internet has really exploded choice. So people now have not just one or two trusted brands or vendors they go to. They can now shop around. So we've developed um, as a society a generation who thinks on demand. So they see more and more goods and services as commodities. These are just things they purchase when they need them. Um, And it's very difficult to tell them apart. So lots of organizations continue to do all the good things about our product or our service needs to be as efficient as possible, as effective as possible. It needs to be easy to access. Unfortunately, all their competitors are doing exactly the same thing. So it's not anymore a case of, is my product good or great? We now just accept that that's the new normal. Expectation is that, of course, your product should be good. Of course, it should be easy to access. But then again, so is everybody else's. And what we're seeing is that marketers and those that are thinking strategically about their business saying there's got to be somewhere else where we can compete, where our differentiation isn't just on convenience or price. And where one of those areas is emerging as being very strong is customer experience. Now, the challenge with experience is it's not what we do, it's how it's perceived. So the experience isn't our service, it's how our customer perceives that and how they value and judge that. 
And of course, that's where we're back into emotions again. So the way that I think about what um, one of the companies I might be dealing with is operating is partly based on what they do, but I might not be able to tell that apart from all the others, particularly if it's something big and complex like a, you know, a financial services product or a car or some major decision, but also about my history and my feelings and attitudes and my beliefs about that. And feelings and attitudes change slowly over time, but emotions change wildly in relatively short periods. So this is a, a you know, really potentially incredibly valuable area to be. So if you can be perceived as being different in the way that you make your customers feel, you have a competitive edge, but it's very difficult to do. And that's really where I've been focusing research and development over the last year is thinking about how do we build those experiences, which are not only operationally superb, where we deliver efficiency and effectiveness, but we engage with our customers emotionally and do that in a way which we can scale um, to large scale audiences. So uh, let's let's dive a little deeper into that here. Ultimately, we need a way to actually measure this. So what are the metrics that are successful at measuring emotion? I mean, I know I'm familiar with things like net promoter score and customer effort, but are those effective measures of emotion? Are there other things that we should be using to measure? We are all, I think, now familiar with NPS or the Net Promoter Score or system and measures of satisfaction. And then we have the operational measures like um, you know, handling time and the customer effort score. All of those are great operational measures. You absolutely have to do them. But let's take Net Promoter or satisfaction as one of those examples. This is a tool that's been widely used to try and gauge customers' engagement. Whilst it is true, there's a very strong correlation between those companies that have a high net promoter score and their overall business results. When you start to bring it down to individual users or segments, it's not predictive at all. So what we find is that it's extremely contextual. So people will say, well, I might give you a high recommendation score today, but that's based upon you're the only game in town. Or I'll give you a high satisfaction score because I don't have any other choice or I'm not aware of options. So it doesn't really predict things like loyalty or churn or next sale. Then we've started to see a rise of some of the AI tools. And these have been looking at other things like sentiment. So is there a positive feeling towards a service or a company or is there a negative kind of narrative going on? And those have been using slightly different techniques. And again, whilst those are quite well correlated with outcomes, it's only at the general population level. And they're not terribly diagnostic. They don't explain that you know, this customer feels negatively because they're feeling a range of negative emotions, but to different degrees. So to get past that, what we've done is we've looked at the underlying emotional frameworks. And you start with the core emotions, the emotions that everybody on the planet feels and that are intrinsic to our self as we recognize it in ourselves and other people. And those core emotions are so fundamental that there are dedicated facial expressions related to those. This is why some of the techniques and things we hear about facial expression recognition and people extrapolating that. And there's been some work with things like voice stress analysis, trying to identify, well, what are the words or phrases that people feel stressed when they talk about? Now, those are great. um, And they're certainly moving towards the right direction. The challenge of those, of course, is you have to be in the conversation. So what we've done is we've said, let's go to the thing that we know is correlated to an outcome. And it's the underlying emotions. So to take one very simple example, um, in financial services, trust is an incredibly important emotion. Now we might debate whether it's a core emotion or a function of social emotions, it doesn't really matter. What the banks recognize is that if our customers don't trust us, they don't trust us with their money. And if we don't have their money, then all the other things like price and convenience and access are meaningless. 
So our core business metric is actually about trust, but that's only one emotion and there are a range of others. So there's been some work looking at how do you identify emotions? How do you categorize them and score them? And I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more. What we do is we look at the whole range of those core emotions and there's a quite complex um, set of those and it's the mixtures that are as important as the primary ones. So you know, we would say that that customer feels a negative sentiment because they're afraid. So you could say okay, there's a correlation there. But then you could also say, but actually fear isn't itself negative from a business context. It might be a very good lead in to have a conversation about the alleviation of fear. So if I am you know, afraid of the future, maybe I want to invest my savings in a way that gives me some sense of surety in the future. That's a business opportunity. So what you have to do is get to these emotions because you can't say that intrinsically, an emotion is good or bad of itself. We might say they feel more positive or negative, but they are all useful and they are all interacting. And that's where the real research came out is, although we're very good as human beings at usually recognizing the most dominant emotion that we see in other people, actually they're all at play all at the same time. Well, what's interesting is, is kind of, I think you were alluding to some of this is there's, there's been a lot of research done by, by people like uh, you know, Paul Ekman, et cetera, who really started with kind of those seven core basic emotions of anger, contempt, fear, disgust, happiness, sadness, and surprise, uh, right? Th those core seven. But, you know, I, it was really interesting, your comment on the mixtures. Are those the core seven that, that you're using when you're doing these measurements? Or do you take a different approach or a larger approach? Or how do you approach those mixtures? When the way the, we operationalize emotions, what we first do is we've extended it from seven to 12. Um, and there's always the option to look at things that, you know, bearing in mind that a computer doesn't understand what a feeling is or an emotion, but there's something that we can categorize. And we turn those into numbers. So as a human being, I might say, well, somebody was very angry or they were somewhat, or you know, they, they displayed slight signs. So we tend to put things into quite large buckets and that's quite useful. And from a computing point of view, we say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter how sophisticated your system. This is human beings we're talking about. They're messy. So you're never going to get 100% accuracy. But let's take some of these other emotions like shame or agitation or you know, some of the other kinds of things we talk about. You've got the primary emotions. So we could score each of those individually, and that's useful. So we can say, well, what's the degree of um, certainty versus happiness? You know, and you, if you project that into the future, you could say that may be an optimistic sense of um, where we're going. And that's the important thing. When you get these numbers, it's actually the products of multiplying them together give you second and third order emotions, which are useful. But you don't have to try and break it down into 150 or 200 discrete categories. We're just saying just take numbers for this core set. In our case, we use 12. Um, and you know, Paul Ekman had seven eight and there was some discussion about whether love is a real emotion or not um, and whether they are positive or negative or single dimensions but we use numbers and it's because we use numbers we can multiply them together we can get quite complex multi-dimensional maps from just the original sets of coordinates that we get from um, the analysis but then we can hit the next big problem and this is one i think a number of organizations have been struggling to to deal with even if you can do that even if I could say that in conversation today with Jeff, I get a sense that he's feeling quite positive, he's you know, happy, calm, uh, has a good outlook to the future, that's how Jeff feels today. Unlike your age, which changes predictably, tomorrow you might feel something completely different. And the day after that, something completely different again. And even worse, 
the way that Jeff perceives something is completely unique to Jeff because it's actually part of, well, what brought Jeff to this point is as important about the way that he'll interpret what's his experience as the actual thing that he's experiencing. So you have to go beyond just the modeling, but modeling that gives us the category, the emotion, and the scale is our starting point. It's the math. What are some of the applications of this? What do you actually do with this once you understand the emotion? Can you use this to help your sales team or your customer service team or your marketing team? How does it how do you actually take the measure of your customers' emotions and what do you do with it? There's a couple of, of steps that I'd just like to describe between um, where we are with the emotions and how you get to the operation bit. And I will, I will definitely cover that. So um, we talked about, firstly, you need to be able to identify those emotions. Um, some of the things I was talking about were actually rather constrained in that they only apply to people that you're in an active conversation with. So you, obviously, if you're going to analyze video, you need to have somebody in front of a video camera. Most of our customers, most of the time, are not in an active conversation. So we have to find ways of extrapolating that to the rest of the audience. So we figured out how to do that um, in that you find that these are exemplars, but you need another technique to actually be able to apply them to a different audience. And then you need a way to apply it to every customer's individual journey. So I'd like you to imagine that now there's a system where we have scored everybody in the customer database on where we think they are emotionally at at this point in time. Typically, we update that every 24 hours or so. So we've got an emotion map which describes Peter's expected range of emotions and Jeff's expected range of emotions, which has been applied onto their individual journeys. We've had separate journeys we got to this point. So now you've got data. You've got numbers and signatures for every single customer. We call that the customer experience vector. Vector because it represents degree, an angle of change, and a rate of change. But let's now think that as a CMO, how would I use that as a CMO? Well, I might use that to help identify new targets for a campaign. So I want to find people who are not only thinking about the things that we can offer, so they might be in market, um, and so they meet the characteristics. But now we have a sense of, and would they be receptive to hearing from us? So we can use that within a predictive model to give us a better model, a more accurate model on things like um, churn or propensity to purchase or a cross-sell or how much they would spend. So I designed the first models and I include Jeff and Peter coming to the campaign. We're going to try and upsell them next week. And just before we hit the execute button and the emails or the phone calls go out, we do another check on that day and we realize that Peter's no longer feeling very positive towards our organization. He's not going to be receptive. Now is not the right time to try and upsell Peter because I'm actually just going to make him feel more negative about me. As a, you know, the, the complaint we often hear is, you think you know me, but you don't understand me. So I might be suppressed from that campaign and actually flipped to a different one, one where you actually invest the time and the energy in healing the relationship. Now, bearing in mind this is just data, you're also working out whether it's worthwhile doing that. And meanwhile, a third person's come along. It's actually, well, that person wasn't looking like they were going to be very receptive last week, but because of some of the things that they've done and what's happened, actually now's the brilliant time to reach out to them. So a marketer can use this for targeting and for suppression and for thinking about, you know, when do I need to take the next best action on what would be the next best action? But what about if you're in a call center and you've got somebody who's dialing in? Well, now we have a potential to say, well, we not only have the transactional record, so we might have a good understanding about why you're dialing in, but now we have a pretty good understanding of how we think you're feeling about that. So I might route you 
through a slightly different path, which is, again, not about our standardized offering. We're not going to change that, but the way in which we fit and select that for you might change. So I'll take a public sector example of this. In the public sector, we have the challenge of dealing with 100% of the population. You can't pick and choose your customers. They're all customers. Citizens are customers. But they have different physical access and emotional needs, which are partly contextual and partly about what's going on. So as a a grandfather, I know that my daughter is a, a new mother and her needs from the healthcare system include things like reassurance. You know, a lot of what she calls or contacts the healthcare system for is, am I being a good mum? Am I getting this right? Now, if I only focused on just the functional bit, your daughter's fine, she's probably got a cold, take two aspirin, come back in the morning. The next thing I know is she won't call again. She'll turn up at the physician's or the hospital because she needs that higher level of contact. So there we can use emotion as a way of guiding the way that we deliver service. And for sales, it can help with timing calls and planning the way relationships go. And in a business-to-business context, one in which we like to think we're all logical and rational human beings and we've designed systems to take emotion out of the equation, the evidence is that's completely wrong. We have a more complex emotional makeup. We have a, a, a more complicated personality, if you like. But there's still emotions in businesses because there are people in business. So there are lots of applications of this, including perhaps one of my favorites, as somebody who has to deal with CFOs on a regular basis. Now I can have a conversation about the ROI of CX, because I can say that in order to meet these needs and get a higher return from a campaign, because we're meeting the emotional needs of customers, I need to invest money in whatever I need to do to perhaps influence those more positive moments rather than some of the negative ones. And I know which ones work and I can model the degree of return. So CFOs can look at this and say, not only do I understand the strategic importance of CX, but now I'm starting to get models that I can rely on that give me an ROI. So I know that if I invest $100 in this initiative, I get $115 back or $200 back or even $1,000 back. That's a great sense of surety. And it brings some of the things that the data science community has been used to doing for a long time into a context which is slightly more difficult for perhaps some of our more operationally minded colleagues to really sort of get their head around about how do we function when we have to deal with this messy world of people's feelings and emotions. But the reality is you just have to. Nobody is wholly logical. We're a combination of logic and biological this application of emotion really does get into helping you really document and, and make CX actionable. I, I want to get tactical with the time that we have left. How does someone actually get started with this? Do they just do a customer journey analysis or you know what, what do they do to start measuring emotion? It's quite likely that that most organizations have some of what they need already. And certainly if an organization has been thinking about customer experience, then they're probably doing things like customer journey analysis. Um, So they're thinking about, well, what do the customer journeys look like? Where are the key inflection points? Where do people make the big decisions? And where does our experience fail? Those typically have been again, quite operational. They're, you know, let's follow the linear journey from start to finish, and there are a number of steps and perhaps a number of branches along the way. And I've seen some explorations of people trying to um, embed emotion within that by using things like emoticons. Yeah, so they're saying, well, at this point, all customers are happy, and at this point, all customers are sad, or they're all stressed. Of course, that's a gross simplification um, and a, a gross generalization. But nonetheless, it does help you understand, if you're doing customer journey analysis, where those key decision points are made. The tools we use then say, well, you actually need a source of narrative. 
or you can have multiple sources of narrative, but we need the authentic voice of the customer as close to the verbatim as you can possibly get. Now, you might be tempted at this point to think, well, we'll do lots of focus groups, we'll do lots of interrogative analysis, lots of surveys, and so on. And you know, there's you can go to the other extreme, which is have people doing indirect observation and from a psychologist's point of view, and they're all useful. But actually, if you can get that narrative, then we have the tools that allow you to do the scoring of the emotions. And because some of those emotions represent journeys, we can also say, how does that relate to things like a customer segment or a profile? Got to be a little careful because, as I say, different people perceive exactly the same thing in different ways. But what you do get is an emotion map. So you get the range of emotions and the way that they interplay at different points in the journeys for different kinds of persons. That's usually the starting point. That informs you strategically where do you have the opportunities to make a big difference, where you can impact the way that you're perceived, um, both transactionally from a customer's point of view and also strategically. And you can do that with one question. So you might just change um, perhaps a, a post-call NPS survey to saying, instead of saying any other comments, perhaps ask a more open-ended descriptive question designed to get people to use descriptive language. Because our research shows when they do that, they leak emotion into their language. You can't stop it. It just comes out. So you will automatically start to get that. But we've also used comment fields. You can do very directed surveys. Um, and in some cases, particularly if it's something new or novel, it's worthwhile doing. Now, to operationalize it, you need to take that additional step. You then need to find ways of scoring it so that you can apply it to a big population and say 100%, including the 80% of customers that haven't talked to you for a year, and look at the impact of those. And then you just feed it into systems. So you might have at the front end a link to um, a call center or a Salesforce kind of system, CRM. And at the back end, you might have campaign management um, or an ERP system. And we're just joining another dimension between those two things. But I would always say start with customer narratives which are related or contextualized by customer journeys. That will give you your first point about where you have those opportunities and challenges emotionally as well as functionally. Another kind of tactical question, how do you then, say you've done this customer journey analysis, how do you actually figure out what are those moments that matter to the customer that is the right time to apply um, and, and leverage their emotion so what we can do is, is what we often do with um, the data science team. We look at a business outcome, one that's important to us. And I'd like to share a very quick case study with you because I think this one is, is pertinent. We, we looked at a whole range of emotions around a grudge purchase, something that nobody wanted to do, but you have to. And what we did is we took in a whole load of data that was based around comments. And let's say uh, we'll take the dimension of liking because this one is quite a good one. What we found is completely intuitively, if your customers don't like you, um, even if it's just a little bit, then they're not terribly loyal. You know, let's say 50% of them defect within the next year. But as they get to the point of feeling neutral about you and begin to like you a little bit, and we can look at this from the outcomes, you know, do they defect or not? We can say, well, as they like you a little bit more, they become more loyal. That's intuitive. Now we get to the bit that's not intuitive. Once they get to the point where they're comfortable, they like you just enough for this particular client, it then made no business difference in terms of an outcome, whether they like you more, whether they like you a lot. In fact, although there was very little evidence at the very high end of the like scale, because I said it was a grudge purchase, what we think is happening is that it makes absolutely no difference until they get to the point where they almost love and adore you. So it's not influencing their behavior. And I think this is a human thing. 
when we look at the outcomes, so once people are in that zone for something like that and they feel comfortable, you're back to the things that you can control again, like price and convenience. But perhaps this is something where we talk about customer delight all the time. Actually, customer delight doesn't pay. You know, customer satisfied, i.e. they like you a bit and you're doing a decent job, is good enough. And then you can reinvest that money in the things that are more directly under your control. So we take business outcomes, the things that are important to the business, like a purchasing decision or a churn decision or whether they're going to increase their holding with you. And we relate them back to not only the functional stuff, so you know, were you in the right bracket of price, but the emotional things, like did they feel the range of emotions you want? And I'll go back to that other example about fear. If I'm in the business of insurance or investments, then fear is a good selling signal to me. So if somebody is saying, I'm, you know, I'm a little worried about the future, then what you're saying is for the products I need to offer this customer, maybe a standardized savings product is actually more about reassurance versus I'm talking to somebody who's more optimistic about the future and then what perhaps what they're interested in is I'll accept a bit more risk, but I would like to get a little bit more return. So, you know, it's model on the basis of, you know, this data, which we add to all the other data that we have about customers, but relate it to quantifiable, deliverable business outcomes. Yeah, I, customer delight doesn't pay. I think that's that's actually a really, really interesting point and in, in, you know, it kind of dives into the fact that there's so many brands you need to nail just some of the fundamental blocking and tackling, and then just on delivering your experience and, and then kind of double down on building that affinity for your brand, you know, to, to kind of wrap up here, the, the last kind of interesting question I have. So I'm walking down the street and there's two grocery stores, right? There's one on my right, one on my left. There's not much difference between them, right? I, I, it's probably about the same price, maybe a little bit more expensive one versus the other. How does emotion come into helping me pick which one I go to? How does my brain make that decision? This, this comes to one of the fundamental things which is driving the use of emotions in operations. So, um, And there's been quite a lot of psychological study on this. You're faced with a, a potentially what feels like a simple decision, but actually is quite complex, but it's, I've got two almost identical choices. I can turn left and go to retailer A, or I can turn right and go to retailer B. How do I choose between them when I think that they're broadly going to be the same? Logically, if you've satisfied everything else in that there's no great difference in price or distance, it's going to come down to your personal experience and your feeling. Which of these brands is going to make me feel the way that I want to feel in the future? So imagine a use case that's slightly different from the ones that we're, we're used to. You know, we're going to deliver this feature because customers want to use it to do X, a you know, very functional kind of thinking about that. And we now start to talk about, we're going to do this because customer X is probably feeling this way and they would like to feel this way in the future. So we're looking at those. So what we do is we identify those customers and their journey, bearing in mind we have a way of summarizing very complicated journeys into a few simple steps and saying, at this point, we expect the customer to turn left because they have an emotional framework which is a greater affinity to the brand promise or their experience with the supermarket on the left than the one on the right. Um, and it's incredibly important how uh, significant the role of emotions are in this kind of thing. So, you know, so we like to think that we are rational human beings, that we're in you know, um, what Kahneman called system two thinkers. We make logical decisions. We think of all the factors. The reality is it isn't. Most of the time, 99% of the time during the day, we act instinctively on opinion. And opinion is wholly related to experience and emotions. So if we understand what the emotions are, and if we understand the cognitive biases, the things that are feeding those opinions, 
we have opportunities to um, chip away at the big ones, the attitudes and the beliefs that take time to change, and focus on the things that we know influence behavior. So the customer will say, okay, you know, that, that brand perhaps doesn't offer the best service, but I go in there and I get everything I want first time and I pay a little bit more, but I'm happy because I have certainty that I'm going to leave with an experience I like. The other brand treats me really well, but I have to come back because they don't always have everything I need in stock. So there's a range of, say, these logical and emotional, functional and emotional kinds of needs. And what we're really doing is we're talking to the bit of the brain that most of us don't really think we live in. We think we live in system two, logical world, but actually we're talking to system one, the more um, long-standing part, the bit that, that's the small piece of our evolution that says, you know, I have to think quickly and I have to make snap decisions, many of which I'm not even conscious about. And that, that I think, has been finally one of the things that's been struggling a lot of people when they try to deal with emotions. When we ask people to describe their emotions, to be frank, most of us are terrible at doing it. We don't really understand ourselves. And that's because we're trying to think with our logical brain what our emotional subconscious brain is getting on about when there's no internal narrative to deal with. So when we're trying to do that as a third party, thinking about customers in that way, we do have to deal with the same mess. And whilst it's not perfect, and it never will be, we will never have the context of everything that's happened to you today, what we will have is enough to say we've got a better understanding of how you might be feeling and we can better tailor our service to your needs so that you'll leave feeling the way that you want to feel rather than just, I got my stuff and got out. Because if that's commoditization. That, you know, if I only want to get the cheapest goods and get back into the car again, at the end of the day, then I'm going to go to whichever of those two supermarkets is the lowest cost. And that's, of course, where none of us really want to be and where we're in a Dutch auction of how low can I go on price and margin. If, if people want to... You know, this is such kind of a new and upcoming area of study. Where can people go to learn more? How can they how can they engage with you if they have questions or learn more on their own? I'm very open to taking questions from other people, but you can find some of my published material on the T-Tech website and also on the Customer Strategist Journal website. Um, if you'd like to reach out through LinkedIn, I would be more than happy to take questions there as well. It's an exciting field. Um, we've hit upon something which I think is new. It allows us to have new operational tools, um, which allow us to deal with customers in a different way. And I think as a community, this is a great opportunity for us to get a real dialogue going now, because this is going to touch so many aspects of our lives. Now that these tools begin to exist, begin to deliver these results, um, it's perhaps another golden age for CMOs to be thinking about what they're doing, or sales, or service, or all these other business roles. So um, ttech.com, Customer Strategist Journal, or Google me and find me on LinkedIn. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I hope we can have you back and talk, talk some more experiences uh, around this as this, can, this research continues to develop, new findings that, that you're getting into. But I think you're spot on. The brands that get this area of emotion right, it is cutting edge right now, but I think the brands that adopt it early and, and fast are going to see a, a marked difference in bottom line revenue. Uh, because if you can understand your customers' emotions and how they buy, and not just their journeys alone or their NPS, I, I think that's going to have a direct correlation on, on sales. Exciting times, and, and thank you so much for sharing this. And would love to have you back on in the future and maybe dive into some of the research that you're doing. Thank you, Jeff. It's been a real pleasure, and I'd love to carry on the conversation. To learn more about bringing humanity to business, come see us at ttech.com or subscribe to our journal at customerstrategistjournal.com. Thanks. 
See you next time.